taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana, we want to bring you the Word of God here on this edition of our podcast. Genesis 1-1 states, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics. We're taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Avalo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello everyone. Welcome aboard. Uh, this is going to be a long journey. Um, so we're going to go ahead and get right into it, but just want to make sure that you uh, uh, post a review on the podcast and uh, and keep in touch with us. Email us uh, questions or whatever you need. So we're always open for it. Let's go ahead and welcome on Brian. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis, you're looking extra sanctified and holy today. The sunshine. You like that shine behind me? It's like I've got this holy halo behind me. It's just the sun coming through the window. Yeah, it looks like you're a lucky halo. I got my hat on because. You're lucky I got my hat on because it'd be even extra blinding with my bald head. So. <laughs> Either that's a halo or an alien head. If you hold yeah, one of the well, views we're going to talk about tonight. Well, yeah, you never know. Where's where's that where's that Twilight Zone music? <laughs> I should have brought my other tablet and we could have a little t- Twilight Zone music going on here. Oh my goodness! What a hilarious. So yeah, today we're going to be covering the the different views of creation um, that are most, I guess you could say, most commonly held. Um, I mean, I know there's off wall stuff out there, but um, these are kind of like the most commonly held views of creation. Yeah, so, absolutely. Think, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll be covering some t- topics that. Uh, that, that normally don't get covered when we talk about different views of creation. So we actually have eight tonight, right. and uh, some of them, some of them are really kind of odd. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, and some of them, um, you know, there, there are. I'm sure we're going to be covering, you know, uh, as far as religious views, who, you know. Christianity holds to certain levels of views, and then um, and then outside of that Christian worldview, um, what other views are held too? So uh, it's going to get interesting. So you ready to go? Yeah, ready to rock and roll. All right. So you want you want to uh, go ahead and talk about? Let's talk about the first one that um, is common within Christian circles. Um, it's called young earth creationism. Uh, what yeah. is young earth? So, so before we get into them, let, let me let me explain to our listeners one one additional thing. Okay. Um, the way we arranged this was was intent. We arranged these this list intentionally. Um, there are understood to be two books of revelation: the revelation of Scripture, special revelation that we find in the Word of God, and also the revelation we find in nature. Uh, we this is called general revelation. It's what we can learn about God, what we can learn about uh, 
his creation from creation itself, logic, reasoning, things of this nature, would, would fit in this. Now, some individuals will focus more on Scripture over necessarily natural revelation. There are some individuals who just discard natural revelation, like Karl Barth. He discards natural revelation in general, uh, in total. Other individuals may focus more on natural revelation and view the lens of the spoken revelation in the Word through the lens of natural revelation. So their emphasis would be on that. Well, the last viewpoint we have is going to look totally at natural revelation and nothing to do with the revelation of the Word as we look at these different Mm -hmm. viewpoints of creation. And so Mm -hmm. there's a balance that we have. And so we need to understand... That all truth is God's truth. You know, I, and I, I just want to say this, Curtis, because I remember whenever I was struggling in my faith, uh, God was bringing me back to the faith, but I still had this nagging problem. Every time I saw a new scientific discovery pertaining to the universe or pertaining to science, uh, my, the lingering question I had in my mind is, are they going to find something? Is this going to be the discovery that eliminates the, the God from the equation? Is this going to be the thing that is going to show that God is not necessary or God doesn't exist? And then I come to the understanding that that's never going to happen because mm-hmm. if God exists, if God is the necessary being that we know Him to be from creation, whether this is the only universe or if even if there is a multiverse, there has to be someone guiding and directing the process and bringing that into being because we see even the uh, borg vilenkin goo theorem shows that even the multiverse had to have a, a beginning start point there as well. Sure. So, so the, the reality is, is when you dig in deeper with these issues, you begin to understand that there can't be anything that disproves God. And, it's, and that's not to say that... that that God is a slam dunk, you know, answer, and that um, that that we make a God of the gaps argument. What I'm trying to say is just to simply say, mm-hmm. when you understand God is a necessary being, and that He's necessary to explain the existence of anything, then you begin to understand that no matter what is discovered, no matter what is found, this is something God already knew. So mm-hmm. even if, and this is one of the reasons I love the information argument. Even if evolution were to be true, that doesn't disprove God because you still need a reason for why this system exists and why this system is bringing about life, uh, the best possibility of life in the end. And so you have to have information, you have to have data, you have to have processes. All of that points to intelligence. All of that points to a divine mind. So that's one of the things as we go through this, I want to encourage our listeners to understand, don't be afraid of science. Don't don't think that there's going to be a, a scientific discovery that's going to disprove God. Because when we understand ontologically that God is a necessary being, there's nothing out there that could disprove God. So all truth is yeah. God's truth. So just right. want to give that as a caveat as we begin the, our uh, our journey through these different viewpoints. Right. And so just just to kind of polish up on the two books of, of revealing who God is, Re- Revelation, you could say, one is the scriptures, the holy scriptures that we hold to, which is the Holy Bible. Right. The other one would be like as if, we understood the law of gravity as being a revelation. 
the law yeah. of the speed of light, the speed of sound, those kind of things, correct? Absolutely, because we okay. have to have the ability to discover these things. Because God could have made us into mindless automatons or, or androids where we couldn't uh, understand these things. or, or is, That's what, what some Christian scientists have shown that uh, I think it was uh, Guillermo Gonzalez, I think is his name, was, was showing in one of his works that uh, the universe, our world in the solar system, and I think other scientists have shown this as well, is in such in such a position where other where these discoveries can be made. So God is allowing us to to make these discoveries. It's almost as if by by doing these things we're worshiping God, so to speak. And I mean, it's like what one of my classmates said in the PhD program when we study history. He 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 deems it part of his worship to study history, to study the yep. history of Jesus, to study the details yep. of Scripture. That's part of his worship. And so I yep. think for some people, these discoveries, studying these different issues, is a form of our worship. I know it is for me. Yeah. Well, you're getting into you're get. That's actually a a, a Hebrew understanding of or. Um, of of worship that they would study the the Jewish rabbis would study uh, the scriptures and study what's going on historically and so on and so forth as a worship of God. So, Absolutely, yeah, clearly, yeah. So we'll just start out just stepping into the young Earth creationism. The why I ordered it in this way. Um, well, one. It just makes sense to kind of step in because you'll you'll see the flow. The listeners will see the flow as we start going through this, and I think it's important to just kind of start out with um, maybe you could say one extreme to the other. Correct. That's exactly right. You just think of a balance okay. beam. As we start, uh, the balance beam is on one side, focusing heavily on one side of the revelation and less on the other side. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. I'm not saying this viewpoint mm-hmm. is wrong. It very well may be may be right. But it's just to say mm-hmm. as, as you travel down this balance beam, is this just kind of like a, a seesaw, then you, you see that, the, that there's a balance and then it starts tipping onto the other side as well. And so again, we're not mm-hmm. making it, this podcast, we're not making a claim to any of these uh, positions we're just telling you what they are and and mm-hmm. uh, what they believe yeah and I, I actually was explaining this to uh, um, pastor Eric um, this last week when we were talking I was like you know right now we're kind of going through a series or a section in our podcast where we're actually just laying out views so that later on we can come back and actually maybe even refine single points on those and actually give full depth of those single points. So really what we're doing is kind of building a database to be able to come back to. We'll have this sitting here. So I like that. We're, we're developing a database. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, the, the first one would be young earth creationism. Um, what is young earth? So young earth creationism is, is the viewpoint that the six days of creation in the book of in Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one is where we are. This is the main focus of of this mm-hmm. discussion. Uh, it's, it believes that the day, the word day in the Hebrew, the word is yom, 
the word day is used in a in a sense that is speaking of a 24-hour period. Now, some individuals will will get the 6,000 years by looking at the genealogies in um, the book of Numbers and counting back from the time of Christ. So we know Christ came about using the genealogies in the Gospels and then using the genealogies in the uh, book of Numbers to count back how many generations until uh, you get to the uh, period of about right around 6,000 years or so. Uh, so about that time period. But that's the viewpoint that young earth creationists hold. Now, the, the older earth creationists are going to push back and, and on a couple of different areas on this. And so we'll cover that when we get to that, that viewpoint. AIG is a good, if you're looking for some resources, I'm going to try to give you some names of individuals who hold these different viewpoints or organizations. Uh, Answers in Genesis, um, uh, Ken uh, Ham, his organization, they're, they're a good resource for the YEC yeah. position. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so the second one is gap theory. What is gap theory? So gap theory, I I meant to see, meant to look at how old this is, and this might be something we can do when we have the refining shows as we refine these viewpoints on a later podcast. Uh, the gap theory is a viewpoint that there is a separation of time, a gap of time, between Genesis one one and Genesis one two. So let, let me read the text. So we read already. Genesis 1.1, mm-hmm. in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, at this point, the gap theorist believes there's a gap of time between the end of this verse and the second one, second verse which says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So there is a gap of time, according to this theory, of an indeterminate period uh, between one one. And one two, and then from that point on, it goes into the kind of the young Earth viewpoint from um, the twenty-four hour periods from from one two to the end of the chapter. But it does see that there's a there's a distinction. God was doing certain things that's not recorded between one one and one two. And Norman Geisler is one of the uh, the late Norman Geisler. He held this viewpoint uh, in some of his writings. He he advocates this viewpoint. Interesting. Interesting. So we have the number three, which is um, old earth creation or day age theory. Um, what is yeah. that? So this is another form of creationism, uh, which which is not speaking of evolution. It is holds holds to creationism that God made made certain things in creation by fiat creationism. Fiat means an instantaneous creation. God speaks and it comes to be. So uh, old earth creationists or day-age theorists will, will look at the word yom in, the, uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and they'll say, okay, yom in Hebrew has flexible meanings. It can mean a 24-hour period, as the young earth creationists say, or it could represent an era, an epoch of time, or even a generation, uh, an indeterminate period of time. So they would say that these days of creation are representing a long period of time. So when we talks about the first day, it begins, and there's a long period of time, and then it ends at a certain juncture, and you enter another phase. So instead of being six actual literal days of creation, 
They're more like six phases of creation. God's still creating, but there's a phase. The first day goes through, and then it ends. And then the second phase comes about, indeterminate period of time, and then it ends, and then so on and so forth. Now, uh, there is some support in some areas. Again, I'm not, I'm not advocating this. I'm just giving you the data. Right. For instance, in the Minor Prophets, they use the word Yom Yahweh, the day of the Lord, which seems to, it sometimes it represents a 24-hour period, but at other, on other occasions it represents a, 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 an indeterminate period of time where God is intervening in creation uh, for, for some period of time. Also, you have, uh, I think it's Psalm 91, if I'm not mistaken, which is held to be a, um, a Psalm of Moses. Is it Psalm 91 or Psalm 90? Uh, let me look here right quick and see. But anyhow, whichever one it is, uh, this is a psalm that uh, Moses is said to have written. And uh, in this psalm, it uh, says that a day uh, to the Lord, uh, or, or a thousand That's... years, is like a day to the Lord. Oh, So it's Psalm 90. Yeah, 90. And verse 4 says, For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night. And this is attributed to Moses, the man of God. So, and then Second Peter says something similar to that. Most likely he's quoting uh, Psalm 90 in this passage of Scripture. Yeah, drawing us back to this. Drawing us back to this passage of Scripture. And so, old earth creationists would also say that... Um, that the generations that are used to count back 6,000 years may not necessarily be a strict genealogy, but may be a highlighted genealogy. So in this perspective, if true, I'm going to use my own family as a, as a demonstration of this. So, a, so my grandfather, his name was Roy. He served in the U.S. Navy in World War II. My dad's name is Dennis, my name is Brian, and my son's name is Grayson. Okay, so if you were taking a strict chronology, you would say Roy begat Dennis, Dennis begat Brian, Brian begat Grayson. But in a highlighted form, if you're wanting to point out two individuals, you could actually say Roy begat Grayson. Uh, you could say, my, you know, my grandpa, he uh, served in the military. If my son were to serve in the military, maybe you're wanting to focus on military individuals. You could say Roy begat Grayson, and that would be true, although it wouldn't be an instantaneous. I mean, he wouldn't be the father. He would begat right. the individuals who begat Grayson. Mm -hmm. So um, there does appear to be some suggestion that some genealogies did that in antiquity, the question is, does the Bible do that or not? And that's mm. part of the that's part of the debate. There again, if it were to be true that that's what the Bible does, that doesn't impact the inerrancy of Scripture. It doesn't impact the the inspiration right. of Scripture at all. They're just they would just be highlighting individuals in the genealogical um, timelines uh, instead of giving a strict. Uh, strict chronology of the genealogy, it would be a highlighted form. So that's the old earth creationist viewpoint. Hugh Ross is, um, in Reasons to Believe, they are, they are a big advocates of the old earth creationist viewpoint, and there are many others, uh, just as there are many other uh, young earth creationists we could mention there as well. So we have 
below old earth is progressive creationism. What is the definition for this view? Essentially, progressive creationism is the same as old earth creationism, but some old earth creationists hold into a fiat creationism, that is that God, over time, even though it's a longer period of time, he, he, creation, he creates all things by fiat, by an instantaneous creation of those, in, of those things. Well, the progressive creationist viewpoint believes that God created prototypes, and from those prototypes, other breeds within that species came about. So, for instance, you could say God created a prototypical male and female horse. And from that prototypical male and female horse, there came different breeds of horses. And that may even be different kinds of horses. You can say the same thing for bovine animals like uh, cattle. Uh, there would be a prototypical male and female cow. And then from that, you have all kind of different cattle like Herefords and Anguses and all other kinds that develops from that prototype. And, you know, even with human beings, you'd have the prototypical Adam and Eve, and then from the prototype Adam and Eve, there, there came about different uh, races, different ethnicities, but especially in this time period, it's important to understand that we all come from the same group. We're all really related if you go back far mm -hmm. enough. We're all brothers and sisters, really, mm -hmm. in the end. And so that's kind of the viewpoint held by progressive creationism, that God creates a prototype, and from the prototype there develops these other breeds uh, within that same species. But it's important to understand that these species don't cross over. So you don't get a prototypical whale and then get a prototypical monkey uh, from the whale. It doesn't work that way. You know, The monkey doesn't come from the whale. Mm -hmm. There's a prototype right. of a whale, and then there's a prototype of a monkey, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Fuzz Rana from so, Reasons to Believe, Jeff Swearink, and even Millard Erickson seems to hold to this position in his work, uh, Christian Theology. Hmm. So the next one is theistic evolutionism. Uh, what is theistic, uh, theistic evolution? So th theistic evolutionists believe that God used evolution to bring about uh, life in in the world, um, they would hold that um, that that evolution would be true, but it's not a blind series of events. That God is working through this as an engine, through as a process to bring about all kind of different life. So it's not like as if um, that, that evolution is just going by itself unguided. It's being steered and directed by God. And this would be just simply the means by which he uses um, to create different things. And so, Biologos is a big proponent of uh, of this viewpoint. I think ah, um, uh, oh, Francis. Oh, what is his name? Francis. Francis Collins. Is that, is that right? The scientist who's a Christian. Francis Collins. He wrote the. Uh, Something about the DNA. Ah, anyhow, uh, that he he if it's the same guy, he would be in this group. I may have the wrong name there, and I think William Lane Craig even kind of leans towards mm -hmm. this position as well. Hmm. So we have uh, number six views panentheism. 
Yeah, so pantheism, this this is an interesting viewpoint. Um, so the string theory in quantum mechanics is becoming a big thing in uh, cosmology now. There does seem to be, there is evidence that the, there are at least 11 dimensions to the universe. Um, it gets to the point that you go above physics into a metaphysics metaphysical type of area with some of this. Uh, but there are some individuals, and you see this uh, in, on some nature shows, uh, cos- uh, science shows, where um, it's believed that there's a multiverse and that there's all these other little universes were part of it. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily fit pantheism, but there are individuals who believe that God is the universe and the universe is God. And God is not necessarily something like a uh, uh, intervening in all aspects, but kind of winds things up and lets it flow forth. And so this would be kind of like the uh, God of Baruch Spinoza. Uh, Albert Einstein held this viewpoint of God. Deists hold this viewpoint of God. And even Mikiao Keiku, uh, he's a Japanese cosmologist and physicist, he seems to hold this viewpoint as well. Um, it's it's not it, they don't disagree they don't uh, disbelieve in God they just view God they view the universe in some form or fashion being eternal because it's closely associated with God who is eternal. Interesting. That's uh, yeah. We'll get more into that as we go down the line. So I don't want to ask questions. I keep myself from doing that. So we got. Uh, Panspermia. Yeah, this is this is uh, Curtis's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Wackadoodle. Uh, yeah. I got a wackadoodle. <laughs> so panspermia is the viewpoint. <laughs> is the viewpoint. I'll get it together here in a minute. Panspermia is the viewpoint. It's actually two Greek words, pan meaning all. Uh, The word sperm means seed. Panspermia means that uh, this is the viewpoint that uh, aliens evolved by naturalistic processes. So it's kind of like naturalistic evolution, but it's... um, it views that that there were higher life forms that evolved over natural processes over time, and those alien beings came to Earth, found Earth, and they seeded life on Earth. They seeded life on Earth, and so uh, interestingly, the, the uh, esteemed atheist Richard Dawkins advocates this position in Ben Stein's movie Expelled. No questions allowed. And, uh, you know, Ben Stein asked him, he said, you know, talking about intelligence design, and he said, oh, yeah. He said, I, you know, the, the, na- the nature does show uh, um, intelligent design. And Ben Stein said something of a sort, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, you believe in intelligent design? He said, yeah, but it happened probably more likely uh, due to some aliens who evolved and they, uh, they came and they seeded life. And, uh, I mean, Ben Stein has a few comical uh, uh, retorts to that uh, after, after he's, uh, Dawkins finishes his statement. But, nonetheless, that is a viewpoint that's held uh, when it comes to creation. <laughs> so, uh, the last one is uh, naturalistic uh, evolutionism. Yeah, and natural, what's the definition here? Naturalistic evolution is a basically is essentially the viewpoint that uh, the the universe came from nothing. Uh, philosophically, that doesn't mesh. Mikhail Keiko even made the argument recently on a radio program that the universe came from nothing. Mm-hmm. 
but it's like Albert Einstein said, so even some of the greatest minds in science don't make the best philosophers because we understand philosophically nothing is no thing, the absence of anything, and they're talking about, they, they little, use a little sleight of hand because when they say nothing, they're talking about quantum vacuums, which is a thing. It's not nothing, it is something. So anyhow, naturalistic evolution is essentially saying that the universe came from nothing, uh, was unguided, and accidentally we were made uh, by the universe, and all of life was an accident, all of creation was an accident. Mm. We got really, really, really lucky, is what they'll say. Yeah, okay. So let's move on. <laughs> this is the time I really wish people could see these videos, just to see the looks on Curtis's face. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, let's go back to our first question. We have young earth creationism. And the question I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you is, is it mostly a Christian view, or is there other religions that hold to this view also? You know, that's a great question, Curtis, and I, I really don't know with any great certainty. I, I figure there are there are different viewpoints held out there. I mean, I know with some animist uh, native religions, they would believe that uh, uh, their gods or goddesses would make uh, things within a short period of time. Um but but I don't really don't know for sure. I would be interested to see what Islam had to believe, uh, how they viewed creation. I they I think they may hold to a young Earth viewpoint, uh, but I I would I would shudder to say with any certainty. Uh, I'm I'm sure with Islam it's the same as um, it's the same as Christianity. There's a variety of viewpoints. I know on one of the questions you asked in the original. Uh, Going through some of the questions, you were asking a question about uh, uh, Judaism, early Judaism, and and from what I found, you know, I, and this is going back for some previous studies, I didn't get a chance to really look into it as much as I would love to have, but but there are a variety of viewpoints even there. Some people held to the literal uh, creation as as we would as young earth creationists would hold, and then others view Genesis one as being kind of more allegorical. In, in, to a degree, and so they would see that as being um, a longer period of time and almost like a para, parabolic in nature uh, for some rabbinic sure. scholars. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you know, it's these are these are views that I just was thinking as I was doing these questions. I'm like, you know, what other things, what other places hold to this? You know. Are we exclusively holding this? You know, I mean, I would assume that those that have a um, a biblical worldview would would potentially hold to this more than someone outside of that. Yeah, and that's and that's part of the issue there too. I mean, wh what is their standard of holy texts? Um, what is their standard of truth? That 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 is a big question. That's a question mark mm -hmm. for all of us. What is our standard of truth? Where do we derive truth from? And um, you know, like I said, the different worldviews hold different ideas. If you know, if you're talking about Islam and and um, Judaism, well, they're rooted in. Uh, they 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 consider themselves people of the book, and they're they're related back to the Bible in some sense. Um, but yeah. they. You know, they, they there may be a variety of different viewpoints. Um, so, the Abrahamic the Abrahamic religions, 
you could say. I would say so. Judaism, Islam. Yeah, but Buddhism and Hinduism, um, you know, with Buddhism, um, th- there's an endless wheel of reincarnation. Hinduism, I think, is the same way. It's an endless wheel of reincarnation. So it's it may be an eternal thing. Who's running the wheel? Well, now Hindus Hindus would say God is. Uh, Hindus would say God is, but Buddhists would say it's unknowable. You know, because they're more. They don't, it's not that they don't believe in God. Um, some of them do. Some of them very well may. It may be more of a pantheistic view of God, but um, it's it would be kind of a more of a perhaps an eternal thing. I mean, in here again, that, that would require a little more research than what I than I what I've done for the podcast. What I should have done for the podcast, but um, just from some of my my world religion studies, it seems like if memory serves, that they would hold more to a uh, almost like the universe is eternal perspective and that's why that's why with some cosmologists buddhism and hinduism is so attractive to them because they do have that that ongoing eternal uh universe type of cosmology interesting so we've got um the gap theory um What's church, what church fathers held to this view? Now, gap theory, I'm not sure. Um, this this may have been a viewpoint that came later in church history. I know it really mm, okay. um, it really came you know it was really popularized in the 1900s, um, mm. and, and even in the 2000s, uh, 20th and 21st century. As far as the church fathers, though, and the viewpoints they held. Uh, some some would have held to a, a younger Earth viewpoint. Augustine and the Alexandrian school, Oregon included in that school, um, you know, they would have held more of a viewpoint of perhaps even old Earth creation. Uh, oh, really? Augustine seems to suggest that uh, in his writings, I can't remember if it's a City of God or Confessions, but he seems to suggest that the, and this is well before the time of evolution, that there, um, the, the, the days may be much longer than just 24-hour periods, that there may be some type of phases. I, have to, I was hoping to get the reference to that, but time didn't permit me to do so. Uh, Oregon, Oregon had issues uh, with some, well, we've got to go back and understand what was going on in Oregon of Alexandria's life. I don't think he's given a fair shake often. For Oregon, he mm. was facing a lot of questions um, that people had. He was serving as an apologist. A lot of people had questions about why was there so much violence in the Old Testament, and he was trying to find a solution to some of those problems. So he, he depended more on allegory. Uh, he he did believe in the literal nature of Scripture, but he viewed mm-hmm. some things in Scripture as more allegorical, and he seems to have done that with Genesis 1 um, mm. in regard to creation as well. Interesting. So it, it, you're right, I mean, because this, this isn't a viewpoint that's just new to us in Christi- Christendom. This has been going on for several millennia. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Our, our day age theory and our old earth creation um, how do how do these views or this view hold um, and explain its it, its adherence to the scripture so that's a very good question l- l- let me pause that right quick and say looking back to the church fathers that we've been discussing these issues for a long p- time 
but it didn't really get heated until the Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee. Around about that period of time is when these issues really started getting heated. Um, Interesting. They, they really started getting heated, but you know, and you know, anyhow. But but asking about how old Earth creationism and some of these other viewpoints uh, treats the tenets of Genesis. What they'll do whenever they look at Adam, and this is the, one of the big question marks, because mm-hmm. the traditional understanding through young earth creationism is that Adam introduced sin into creation, and that impacted creation, and it uh, impacted creation negatively. And so in the old earth paradigm, then you, ha- you have dinosaurs existing before Adam, which means you ha- would have death before Adam, and so... How do you explain that? That's the big question mark. Well, Old Earth Creationist Hugh Ross has done has done excellent work on this uh, regarding for you know Ford is the defender for Old Earth Creationism. He he said that God created creation good, but he didn't create it perfect because he knew that Adam would have sinned. Uh, he he created the the creation itself to permit freedom on the part of Adam and Eve. They were in the garden, which was separated from the rest of creation, and they were preserved in that garden. And so uh, when when God uh, gave them the freedom, then they were kicked out of Eden, so to speak, and then they, were, then they went back to the rest of creation. And so he answers that by saying that God created uh, the universe knowing that Adam and Eve would sin and that impacted the the um so so they were they were created in a sinless state but their sinfulness their their choice impacted them and then added additional curses and problems to the universe uh to creation itself and so he even says that there has to be even with the sun He's made arguments that the sun has to go through a phase of, uh, of somewhat of a, I hate to use the word decay, but there's there's a phase that the sun goes through being a star, that there's a perfect time for life to exist, and we're in that time mm. period. So there are all of these different things. And by the way, he also would add to that, and I find this interesting, no matter if you're young earth or old earth creationist, people will ask the question, why did God make dinosaurs in the first place? Well, there's an answer to that. And if you drive a car or you use oil or gasoline, you can thank a dinosaur because it took animals of that size dying to, and then all of the things going through and, and then, you know, through the process of decay yeah. to permit that level of oil and fossil fuels. So you had to have some majorly big creatures to die and decay to permit the fossil fuels that we enjoy now. So mm-hmm. there was even a reason for the dinosaurs, and we can thank a dinosaur for mm-hmm. when we drive a car and tractor or yeah, whatever Yeah, see one shake his hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't go to Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. So is, is this also um, an exclusive Christian view, you think? I wouldn't say so. Uh, I mean, obviously, when we're talking about Genesis and, and sin, I mean, every worldview, every religion has to answer why evil exists and why bad things mm-hmm. happen. 
and and every religion will have something unless unless you're Buddhist. And I'm not trying to pick on Buddhists, but Buddhists don't believe in good and evil, and Hindus don't either. They they believe there are states of being. They believe that um, that, that good and evil really doesn't exist. They, to to become one with the universe or to become one with God, you have to free yourself from the passions of life in these viewpoints. So you become nothingness, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But outside of that, you know, m- most most worldviews have something in their paradigm that will explain why such evil and bad things happen in the world. And so for Christianity and Judaism, um, I think it's true. It, it began with the prototypes of humanity, Adam and Eve, and they chose wrong. And once they did, they infected all of humanity and really all of creation uh, with, right. this, with this sinfulness that has impacted creation itself. Right. Yeah, I always, when I'm talking with people and they ask those kind of questions about, well, what other religions, you know, are there and could those be true? And I was like, well, okay, let's let's back up here. Every religion, every worldview, every, every worldview that a person holds has to answer four questions. And those four questions are common across every one of them. It's origins, meaning, morality, and destiny. Mm-hmm. If, if, if we have those four questions laid out in front of us, the, there's only one religion, one understanding that, that holds, uh, one worldview that holds um, and explains all four of those um, perfectly. And that's a Christian worldview. Yeah, right. So progressive uh, creationism is progressive creationism a more academic debate about creation? I don't think so. I, I, you know, obviously, when you get to RTB, these are scientists who are actively working in the in their chosen fields, their scientific fields. So what they're doing is, yes, a very academic field of study. Some of Hugh Ross's books, whether you're old Earth, young Earth, I think you can still create enjoy his books. Um, some of the things he goes into is very in depth. Uh, If you attend his lectures, if he's in your area and you attend his lectures, and I have down in Charlotte, he's been at the uh, podcast. Holy cow! Oh my gosh! I mean, the man knows his stuff, and he'll go through in some of his lectures and on some of these apologetic conferences, he'll even go through some of the equations and stuff. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. uh, mind-boggling. But I think that uh, progressive creationism is is what it's trying to do is to show how God works in creation. And I think there's around four views, if I remember correctly. The first view, there's a, there's a term for it. So there's four views on how God interacts with creationism, with creation. There's the deterministic view. And there's another word that starts with an O. I could not for the life of me find it. But I'll just call it determinism. It, it's, it's the viewpoint that God directs every single detail in creation. Mm-hmm. So if there's a lightning bolt... It, it's because God threw it that way. Or if there's a tornado that that, that stems off, it's because God sent it. Um, there's also the open theistic view uh, that uh, that uh, God acts, but he doesn't know what's going to come about in the future. Uh, and, and that may not be necessarily, that may not necessarily fit here, but that is, that is a viewpoint that's held. Um, the pantheist viewpoint is that God and the universe are one, but there's also the Thomistic viewpoint. 
And that is that God operates by primary causes. God acts, and then He also allows, allows nature to do certain things directed by Him. Uh, God directed it, but it, but but na- He allows nature, natural processes to go through and to follow as well. So it's almost like a game of pool where the cue ball hits. Um, Whenever you rack the balls and the cue ball hits the, the balls, they go scattering everywhere. They're all directed at different points according to how the cue ball hits those other those other balls. So in this sense, you still have you still have God's primary work, but you allow also for some natural processes to take place. And so I think for progressive creationism, they hold really to the Thomistic viewpoint of primary and secondary movements. In that regard, that's interesting. So, is it an academic debate? It, it can be. I think it also was looking at the distinction between macro and micro evolution. Um, mm-hmm. They will adamantly say that macro evolution is a falsehood. They would adamantly right. say that you can't get human beings from a monkey, and a monkey doesn't um, come from a whale, and so on and so forth. They would adamantly disagree that animals from different species can produce other animals of, di- of, of difference. In other words, let me back up. They would adamantly disagree that one species of animal could produce another species of animal. But they would say that within each species, there can develop different breeds through microevolution. Micro right. is more along the lines of immune systems. Our immune systems use this. We adapt to viruses and and things of that nature. So this is this is evolution at a micro level. When you hear evolution is proven, it's talking about at the micro level of adaptation. Right. Is is it really evolution? I don't know that it is. I think it's more adaptation. But nonetheless, yeah. they're arguing from that point of view. But they're definitely saying evolution itself, it, as far as macro evolution, it doesn't happen. Right. Right. And I I I like that. I like that view. Um, you, just that understanding when we break that down is macro and micro. Um, when we when we understand that, you don't you don't see bacteria changing into something other than bacteria. It forms into another strain of bacteria. So that would be your micro. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's I think those are solid solid points. We had Ryan Polly on from. Uh, from his podcast, um, and he came on and really helped us, um, really uh, put a, put a mark in that micro and macro. I really liked that podcast; that was fun. Absolutely, it certainly was, and and he's absolutely right. And that's that's a distinction that has to be made uh, between these viewpoints. And and again, um, at the micro level, these adaptations they happen, but at the macro level, huh. Evidence is real shady as to whether that happens or not. Right, right. And look at how look at how hard it is to when a lie when a lie gets put out there or a thought of something gets put out there that that doesn't have a lot of fact to it, how fast it travels. But yet, for us to explain it and try to explain it in a view or an understanding that yeah adaptation takes place so that would be a micro evolution but a macro no it takes us a long time to decipher that or to be able to spell that out for people and explain that but meanwhile the the 
the evolution. So if somebody were to say, well, these things evolved, your mind automatically just locks onto it and latches on and runs with it, where it takes us actually having to investigate and have the right words to explain what that was meant by. That's why we need to have more Christian scholars, Curtis, uh, honestly. Th- mm. There are so many yeah. things that I've seen even on uh, history programs that I almost want to scream at the television that, that are that are bold-faced <laughs> lies I know better now, historically, uh, that, that are, I mean, the whole aspect of, I've heard some people say, well, the Romans never allowed... Um, never allowed um, individuals to bury, give a proper burial to crucified victims. Well, tell that to the Yehonan, uh, the guy who was crucified in the ossuary, and his bone was left in the ossuary box, who has the nail in his, still in his ankle bone, where it bent and hit right. that, that uh, piece of wood. Right. That proves the fact that Romans did allow proper burials to take place for crucified victims. And if you follow the Roman record, that continued into, was Emperor Claudius, no, what was his name? The emperor that came after um, the, the emperor in Jesus' day. It, it was before Nero. Um, I want to say Claudius, but I don't think that's right. Uh, my mind went blank. But but the the, the emperor after, after the time of Jesus, uh, the emperor during the time of Jesus allowed people to give proper burials to crucified victims. The emperor who came after him, that's where they started drawing back saying no. The same thing happens when we're talking about uh, cosmology. Uh, cosmologists like Lawrence Krauss will say the universe mm-hmm. came from nothing. And, and and people will buy into that. And, and I even heard Mikhail Keku. that's not what he means. That's not what he means at all. If you do the yeah. hard work and look and investigate, you see that nothing is not really no thing it's actually a quantum vacuum, which is something that holds physical traits and characteristics, and that itself needs to have an explanation for why it's there. And so yeah. the, the question asked to Mickey Alkeku was, uh, how can you explain that why there's something rather than nothing? And his answer was, well, the universe came from nothing. No, that's not right. The un- he's saying the universe came from a quantum vacuum, which is a physical thing. And if you follow the BVG theorem, you know that everything, even even a multiverse, needs to have an explanation for why it's there. Right. It has to have an origin point. Right. So right. that's the sneaky part. You know, it's like I heard uh, one person say. When you study a little bit of science, you you may you may easily become an atheist. But when you study a lot of science, you find God. <laughs> you find yeah. the necessity of God. Well, there's there's a lot of truth to that. Look at all the early scientists that actually came up with theories and uh, the theories and and uh, and even medicines and stuff were all were all Christians. They were all believing in God. They were all theism people. Yeah, they're all theists. Yeah, yeah. So we got theistic evolutionism. The question I got here: here Does this re- does this view reduce God's omniscience and omnipotence? Omnipotence. You know, I had a doctor's appointment today, and I was thinking about this very question coming home, battling the traffic in Winston Salem, coming back home to good old Pilot Mountain, where we're back in the sticks. <laughs> I was thinking about yeah. this very question though, coming down the road. 
I, I don't, and I'm not a, I just want to say I'm not a theistic evolutionist, okay? But I don't necessarily believe that it does reduce omniscience and um, uh, God's omnipotence and omniscience because I think the theistic evolutionist would argue that God would still be working through the process, so he has all power, but they would say that God naturally works through processes. And, and there's a point to that. I heard a... Um, someone say something about that. And I can't remember if it was a theistic evolutionist or a progressive creationist, but one of them was saying that God tends to move through processes and procedures. They recognize the fact that God could have simply spoken and everything would exist, but um, God tends to even work in our own Christian lives through processes and procedures to bring us to where we need to be. And as, as far as the omniscience, uh, they would say that that even using natural processes and procedures, that uh, God would knowingly be able to bring about certain ends, that final cause to all things. Hmm. And so they would say that um, God's omniscience is working through the entire process. Hmm. Interesting, because you know this is this would be more of that far end of 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 a christian worldview um in the theistic evolution um and it's interesting as you explain it um how there are points in almost every view that that you somebody could say yeah i see that i understand that point okay i get that so in almost every one of these views that we've talked about so far um in the christian realm or would be potentially in the christian realm um you could actually find a little bit of you know um adherence to each one of those views yeah and that's why we need to really be careful um condemning one another because of different viewpoints on creation. Now, obviously, we're going to, we're getting into some that are really kind of yeah. wacky, uh, but but uh, but we really need to show grace because John Lennox said something um, at a conference, and I never will forget him saying this. I heard him say this live at the National Conference on Christian Apologetics down in Charlotte. He, he stood before this uh, crowd of pastors, teachers, scientists, educators, um, and he said, as, as he was talking about creation, and I can't remember if it was a question and answer or if it was just part of his lecture, um, but he said we need to be careful because at one point both theologians and scientists were trying to prove that the world was flat. Theologians would use the Bible to say that the earth was flat, and scientists would use their science to say that the earth was flat. I have a friend, Scott Hyland, he says he, he doesn't know whether or not the flat earth was as prominent as it was. Well, even if that's true, even if it wasn't as prominent, you could still say that at one time theologians and scientists used their science and their theology, uh, their, their Bibles, to say that the the solar system revolved around the earth, a geocentric solar system where... where where it was proven later by, I think it was Copernicus, that 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 the the solar system revolved around the sun, a heliocentric uh, solar system rather than a geocentric universe uh, solar system. So the the point is that at points and times, both the theologians and the scientists have been wrong using their own data points, and so we really need to be gracious in the, in this regard because. 
you know, if 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 God created the universe in six thousand years, hey, that's fantastic. God did it. Mm-hmm. But if He took thirteen billion years to do it, in the end, God still did it. Uh, so whether it was a long period of time or a short period of time, the ultimate thing is is that God did it. We do see the entrance of sin into creation, and I think you can see that in both paradigms. Uh, it, it's workable in both paradigms. Now, I'll be grant you, it, it works easier in the uh, young earth creationist viewpoint than the old earth creationist viewpoints. But there are answers, even in the old earth viewpoints, that, that will permit um, the entrance of sin, Adam's sin, and how it impacted creation, even in these viewpoints as well. So here again, I think we need to be gracious with one another. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> panspermiaism. <laughs> How is this even possible? <laughs> well, you know, I am certainly not advocating this position at all. But but trying to be unbiased and fair is as much as I can. Oh, that's be. out the window. That's that's <laughs> out the window. <laughs> We're already laughing at it. <laughs> you know, this is a question that I've often have. If if there were proven to be creatures other aliens in the universe if there were other beings in the universe besides ourselves would this shake our christian worldview and i would say there doesn't need to be a reason why it would uh because Mm -hmm. god we know god created other beings sentient beings outside of human beings uh, mm-hmm. We know that there are angels. We know there are demons. We know there are different categories of angels. There's the cherubim, right. which are the four-faced uh, creatures around the throne of God. Uh, the seraphim and Isaiah are these flaming serpentine angels of fire, uh, of which Satan may have been one. Um there are archangels. We know of Michael and some of the apographic, uh, the um, apographical t- uh, works, like uh, First Enoch and the pseudepigraphal works, uh, First Enoch and, and such. We know that there may have even been seven archangels. Um, there, the Bible seems to suggest that there are powers and authorities. There are other ranking angels. So there may be a panoply of different angelic beings out there, and who knows what God created. Um, is it possible that aliens could have developed and seeded the earth? Well, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I don't think it's probable. And even if it did happen, you still have the ontological necessity of I was God. I going to say, yeah. So you don't yeah. really get... You don't really do anything about the necessity of God's existence. You just push the goalposts back a little bit. Now, is there any evidence that aliens came and and did this? I don't think there is. Could there be aliens what? in the universe? Uh, you know, it's possible. I mean, if there are, you know, it's not going to shake my worldview. Uh, I'm, it's not that I'm going to go <laughs> looking for a little green man and give him a hug or something. But <laughs> what about what about crop circles, man? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe somebody's good with a tractor. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, oh I mean, goodness. there are. I mean, and granted, I, I mind you, there are some really weird things in the universe. Yeah. That there are, yeah. there are some bizarre things. And again, I'm not saying that there aren't alien life forms out there. There very well may be. It's not going to shake my worldview if there would be, as long you know. Um, because ultimately we know the uh, necessity of God's existence and Jesus is still risen whether there be 
Martians and Venusians and other such beings out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Um, <laughs> so we got naturalistic evolution. Um, the, the question I have here is, since this is a complete denial of God's hand in creation, can a Christian hold this worldview? The only way I would think it would be possible, and here again, trying to be fair, is if, if a person held to a pantheistic form of, of God, if, if you believe that God and the universe were one, then possibly you could. Um, that, that might be a way out. But you know, I don't know that it would necessarily be a biblical construction of, of the God uh, we know in Scripture. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I guess it's possible. I mean, if you, if you, if you're going to hold to a pantheistic view of God, I, I guess it could be possible in that regard. But, uh, you know, I, I think you have bigger, you have big, some big problems. You have an uphill climb because you've mm-hmm. got to explain, um, why there's something rather than nothing. You have to show that uh, things naturally, with no influence or outside force, can grow and develop into things. You have a problem of how life began. You have the problem of the Cambrian explosion, where there, where life just explodes on the scene in a short period of time. You also have the even bigger problem of explaining where conscious came from, consciousness comes from. Consciousness mm-hmm. only comes from consciousness. So if you don't have a conscious right. God, you don't have a conscious divine mind, where does the consciousness yeah. come from? You, you yeah. have an uphill... I mean, honestly, this is why I believe that uh, sheer naturalism, uh, the atheistic naturalism, is really dying. I, I think it's being replaced. That doesn't mean that people are necessarily becoming Christians. Uh, I th- right. think you're seeing more of a pantheistic viewpoint, things of this nature, but... Um, just to simply say that the, the, the nothingness developed into somethingness, um, philosophical nothingness developed into somethingness, is, is losing it's traction. Silliness. It's, it's silliness. It absolutely <laughs> is. <laughs> oh. uh, don't ask a rancher's opinion on this one. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so my question here is: At what point do these views leave a biblical understanding of creation? Well, I think everything we covered up until the point of panspermia and natural evolution and and pantheism depends. It depends on how you view God's. Uh, transcendent nature, you know, tra- pantheism holds the imminent nature of God, but not as transcendence. So, I think if you're going to hold a classical biblical understanding of who God is, transcendent and imminent, then it would be difficult to hold to pantheism. I do think that, um, again, while I'm not an evolutionist, I-, I think it's possible if we understand the core tenets of Christianity that God that God created uh, everything that exists. Mm-hmm then I think everything from young earth to even to theistic evolution is possible and you know it is possible to uh, merge it with a biblical understanding of creation that it doesn't mean that all of them hold the same um, strengths and weaknesses you know some of the viewpoints are definitely a lot stronger than the other ones are 
But then again, that depends on where the where you're basing your focus of truth. Is it on on the word only? Sure. Is it on nature only, or is it a blend of the two? Yeah. Okay. Good. Interesting. So, last question here: uh, how can how can an understanding understanding these views help us minister and evangelize the culture? And is it important to know where we stand on these views to believe in Jesus? Great question, Curtis. I think it's important for people to know. Um, it, these views are important to know because we need to know where people are coming from. And we've talked before about the importance of active listening, and that's really what we're doing on this podcast is we're actively listening to these different viewpoints and seeing what they believe, where they're coming from, and, and how they get there. And you'll notice that we haven't advocated any of these positions. Now, one or two of them are a little silly. <laughs> we admit that. Mm, yeah. but, but we haven't advocated any position. But we're just simply seeking to understand the positions and, and where the proponents are coming from to get there. And so that's what we're doing. And I think it's important for us to take the time to really listen and try to see where the person's coming from as we try to minister to them. I think it's also important for people to know that science is not the enemy of faith. Right. Exactly. We've been told that so much, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Science is not an adversary of faith. You can be a Christian and be an intelligent believer uh, and in do its scientific investigations. We need more Christian scientists oh, yeah. out there. We need more Christian philosophers. Yep. We need more Christian historians. Um, you mm. name it. We need more Christian scholars in the field. So, person needs not need not be afraid of science or even scientific investigations. So we don't have to live in fear for the newest, latest, uh, you know, uh, uh, discovery. Uh, if we know who God is and we have a firm foundation in Christ, in the Word of God, then we can investigate these claims and then also be able to do so without being taken astray or led astray by some of these wacky viewpoints that's out there. But uh, right. I think that's important to let people know that uh, the things we mentioned, I think it's important to hear, yeah. hear where they are uh, and, and let them know that that our faith can withstand any scientific investigation. Yeah, and that God loves them. Absolutely, most certainly. <laughs> and that they're, that so, they're here for a purpose. I mean, and that's yeah, important to know, go. too. Yeah. Well, there it is, folks. Get out and, and have a discussion with somebody today, tomorrow, and this next week, and, and uh, tell them that you heard it on Bellator Christie. We here at Bellator Christie want to thank you spending time together with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information join us next time on the bellator christie podcast until next time brian and i say soldier home friends you've been listening to the bellator christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com the opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment.
Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash bellatorchristi. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.